Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today is Jane Van Boskirk. Jane is an actress who has played 30 historical women in the past 40 years. Ms. Van Boskirk is best known to Pacific Northwest audiences for her touring one-woman shows rooted in history and exploring a range of fascinating personalities. Now the distinguished character actress, Jane Van Boskirk, has returned from contemplative gardening to once again step into history and herstory relived portraying former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt in a one-woman show by playwright Sharon Whitney. Jane Van Boskirk brings Eleanor Roosevelt's life back to life on stage, quoting the former First Lady, Everything I ever did was accomplished across a barrier of fear. Eleanor Roosevelt. Welcome, Jane, to The Reasonable Voices, and how are you this afternoon? Well, I'm just fine. It's a, it's a beautiful day in Portland, Oregon. I can see the mountains, and that's always a plus. It sounds wonderful. I always like, I, I mean, I've never been to Oregon, I can uh, admit, but I've always thought of Oregon as one of the most beautiful states in the United States because I've I've seen so many photos of the place and know people there, so I'm so glad to have you on the show for that reason as well. But, well, thank you. Well, we're pretty proud of our city and our state here. And it's so, um, it's so it's known for such, um, what, how should I put it? It's clean and it's progressive, it looks forward, and it's welcoming. How's that? I would say that sums it up. Right then. Well, to get to you, because there's so much that we, uh, first of all, I don't get to talk to theater people on radio as much as I would like. I talk to them in theater all the time, but but to get them on radio and, and to exchange ideas is always fascinating to me. But before we turn our focus to Eleanor, who were you, some of those other historical women you portrayed? Oh, there's so many. Um, 
many, and people ask me frequently, what is my favorite woman that I portray? And I always tell them the woman I'm currently playing. (laughs) (laughs) You get fickle that way. But uh, Abigail Scott Dunaway in the interest of suffrage was one persistent lady. Mm. She um, worked for 43 years in the Northwest trying to get the vote. Uh, But she had a younger brother, Harvey Scott, who was quite prominent in the city. He was the editor of The Oregonian, the paper that people paid attention to. Mm -hmm. And he was against the vote for women and sabotaged her on every vote. (laughs) There was four and six votes coming up, and uh, the day before he would write a front page editorial about how there is far too little deliberation in suffrage now and in voting now. So he was quite an opponent. Plus, she had different ideas about how the vote should be won, which was against what the East Coast women thought the vote should be, how the vote should be won. So she had quite a trial with uh, East Coast suffragists coming over here and speaking out against prohib, you know, drinking and that sort of thing. So. <laughs> I see. She was a fascinating person, it sounds like. And uh, Oh, I, I love her. I think she's, yeah, she is definitely fascinating. Yes. She, uh, we did a full length. I mean, I have a, a 30-minute monologue that I do on her, but we originally started it as a uh, full-length play with Harvey Scott. And the playwright took the script Backwards, In other words, the script opened at the end of our lives mm. and went all the way back to uh, when we first came to Oregon and how excited, well, not first came to Oregon, but when we first kind of started establishing ourselves in Oregon. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a love of Oregon. I, I do uh, at least a dozen uh, Oregonians in my script, wow. in my scripts. With 30 women. 30 women, 40 years, that's quite a career, and most of them, I presume, are one-woman shows, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, uh, they are. I do a show on immigration at the turn of the century, and uh, I do Mother Jones in that, who is, again, uh, an incredibly powerful woman. Mm-hmm. I do a show, a show on the Appalachian women who work so hard to survive with the strip mining, the, the brown lung, and uh, the strikes. I do, uh, as one of my characters in that, I do Florence Reese, who yes. wrote, Which Side Are You On? Yes. And... Uh, I do strong women. What can I tell yes. you? You know, women who accomplish things. I, I do, though, attempt to do characters that, like on the Oregon Trail, people who wrote about their experiences on the Oregon Trail. Mm. And so we have their literature to use to write scripts. And, uh, you know, the ordinary people are fascinating, too, but they've got to They've got to have done something. Yes. In other words, wrote it down. Yes. So. And and I know that's your your desire to to be truthful about them, to bring 
bring the facts yeah. to us in an entertaining way. History is an amazing thing, especially when it's told correctly. Uh, and of course, well, yes, I, I've always worked with humanists, with well, people, historians, people who know the history, mm. and I'm guided by them. We got grants from the Oregon, well, from the Council of uh, Humanities, from many, well, all these shows except for uh, Eleanor. Ah. Well, let's talk about Eleanor and get some, uh, maybe we'll get some grant writing going here. Tell us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what, um, I'm just wondering, because you seem so courageous and you play a lot of courageous women, and of course Eleanor certainly was that, but behind uh-huh. a, a good deal of public courage, there can be fear, and you you certainly are aware of that, and, and I borrowed that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, I believe, in doing my research on you. I think that's how I rediscovered it. So what yes. uh, it, does that appeal to you, that inner, that outward courage and being uh, somehow influenced or even inspired or driven by uh, an inner fear? Do you have a connection with Eleanor on that? Or uh, there's a question in there somewhere. You just run with it. Yes, I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. Uh, my inner fear is quite strong. And quite frankly, doing Eleanor Roosevelt for an hour is the greatest therapy session one could hope for. Mm. I am been strangled by my fear as far as motivation in my career. Mm. Being an actress, it's it's got its inbuilt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But uh, Eleanor and her persistence, her ability and the quotes that she has, well, the words that she said are are so motivating for me that uh, drifting into, I mean, being Eleanor is probably the strongest thing a person could do for oneself. You know, I, of course, so much for my asking, why Eleanor? <laughs> Which is on my list of yeah. questions. But that really, we're, we're going to be answering throughout the, the program, I'm sure. And I, right. I'm going to throw out something. I think some time ago I saw this uh, as a part of a research for the Equal Rights Amendment. Someone sent me a portrait of a young lady who was meeting uh, President and Mrs. Roosevelt. And... Um, uh, when they asked the young child oh, what happened, what was so exciting, how was her day or whatever, she said, oh, yes, I met Eleanor Roosevelt. Nothing about Franklin. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. Yes, as far as polls go, Eleanor was far more popular than her husband. Yes, yes. And yet at the same time, there were a lot of people, I think, out of fear. A lot of people very much did not like her and didn't want to oh. see her coming their way. What do you think? Oh, she was the most despised woman, the most talked about, the most uh, people, uh, cartoons about her, you know, uh, rumors about her were just horrible. I mean, she had a hide as thick as a rhinoceros and wouldn't let it bother her. But, you know, she would say, you know, one must make friends with the press, Mm. being above it all. 
very worse. I mean, she uh, w- would face her attackers head on mm. with kindness, with listening to them, uh, hearing what they say, genuinely listening, genuinely under trying to understand where they're coming from. And I think that's, again, so important today. You know, oh, boy. I, I, I wonder if she, um, it, I mean, what we've always read in, in history books anyway. I mean, I'm a history buff, but no expert on on history. But I wonder if what we've heard about Eleanor Roosevelt being, um, uh, she, was an, uh, she was not excited about uh, making speeches or being the eyes and legs of her, for her husband. But certainly when she got out there among the, the real people, she, uh-huh. she found herself and her strength. What, what do you think? Well, I, I think, first of all, she would put herself into the place of the real people. Mm. She would go and, and see how things were made in, in, in the, uh, say, in the factory. She would go to the factory and, and spend hours watching and learning. She would go to the coal mine and, you know, learning about black lung, learning the, uh, the process of, of digging for coal. She would take the person's place and, you know, she was a very outspoken person for civil rights, for health care, for all the things we're talking about now, I mean, daycare mm-hmm. for women who were in the uh, industry industry when the war was there, that the children needed um, supervision and, and help because the mothers had to work. Mm-hmm. And as far as health care goes, I mean, 40% of the people who volunteered for the war weren't physically able to serve because they had such bad nutrition during their childhood. So she saw that as a need for our country to improve, not to mention jobs, how important they were to people and service to the country. I think she saw, well, you know, she was the rumblings of the Peace Corps, the the uh, person that thought uh, uh, we should serve our country and be proud of it. We owe it to our country because um, this country is so wonderful mm. that uh, she saw this as a duty of American citizens. Well, Have I answered your question? You said, or have oh, I just rambled no, on? no, 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 no. And I love it because uh, clearly you are. Uh, you have internalized Eleanor Roosevelt, and that comes not only uh, through your performances on stage, I'm sure, but also in this conversation. I am loving listening to you, so please don't think it's a, a bother of any kind. It is fascinating. And I think we ought to also mention in her behalf that, uh, and I know you know this, of course, is that all of these things you're talking about that Eleanor Roosevelt was a was a, a bit of a thorn in the side of her president and a lot of other people while listening to them genuinely, as you said she did, all of those things were really unthinkable for most of Americans, both those who were victimized by them, but but those but also those Americans who could have done something about it. 
It was it was pretty much unthinkable. Women voting, health care, child labor laws, uh, you know, 40-hour week. I mean, well, and yet she was a product of the Gilded Age. So yes. how do you marry that? Well, yeah, the Gilded Age is much what we are going through now. I think this is a, a big pendulum swing, and I'm hoping we'll go back. Mm. Yes, she, she stepped out of the Gilded Age and saw what it did to its people. Mm. And that's why she was so dedicated to change things. Um, not just as privileged few should have benefits, but um, uh, all people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, my husband just walked in the room and <laughs> he threw me. <laughs> Still yeah, does, huh? Saying, uh, yeah. Well, we can take a break now anyway, and we'll come back. We, okay. We have been talking with and listening to the celebrated character actress Jane Van Buskirk, who has returned to her role as First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt in her one-woman show by playwright Sharon Whitney. We will be right back. Please stay with us. There's a lot more to talk about. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Writer-director Paul Weitz is an industry pro already well-known for such favorites as About a Boy, In Good Company, Ants, and Even American Pie. In Grandma, he brings us not only a beloved star in Lily Tomlin, but core indie sensibility and humor that arises from relatable life experiences. Tomlin, in her first leading role in Way Too Long, plays Elle, the lesbian feminist grandmother of Sage, Julia Garner. When Sage finds herself pregnant and in need of help, her survival instinct leads her not to her iron-willed and caffeine-fueled mom, a pitch-perfect Masha Gay Harden, but to the give hell fighter she trusts to win in a clinch. Grandma L is a bit broke. To raise needed cash, she turns to friends from the past, and even to her long-ago husband, Sam Elliott. Each visit completes more of her story one teaspoon at a time. In the end, we have come to know this woman and to love and admire her strength-based laughter in the face of the troubled life she has chosen. This is a revealing portrait of a woman who has battled life into submission, an outsider who never once considered surrender. Thoughtful, humorous, and spare. Distinctive indie perfection. Grandma. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is the character actress Jane Van Buskirk, who has played 30 historical women for the past 40 years. She works the North west area of the country, Oregon in particular, but she wants to come to the northeast where I live. You know, Jane, I've got to, in case there was some confusion at the end for the audience, you and I were having a good time, but just as we were about to end segment one, for the first time, you seemed a little flustered. You said it was because your husband had just walked in. Why does that fluster you? Well, my husband is a rather formidable person as well. He's a judge. He's a senior appellate judge in the state of Oregon. And 
He's a lot different than I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I sounds... Him at, Go ahead. I, I, I get, we married at 38. By the time I was 41, I had three children. Wow. Twins and a singleton. And um, talk about crossing a barrier of fear. I mean, <laughs> those children... <laughs> still haunt me. <laughs> and uh, ironically, Eleanor had the same problem. Um, she, she would say, uh, I, I, well, I didn't have this problem necessarily, but she, she didn't grow close to her children. Mm. She was so concerned about how they were raised. I simply wasn't wise enough to simply love them. Mm, I see. I didn't cultivate intimacy. Mm-hmm. So she had a handful of problems with her children as, as, as in their adulthood as well as their childhood. Her mother-in-law yes. basically spoiled and sick, and uh, she had little control in the family. So it was difficult. It was a challenge. T- tell me about what was challenging for you that, it, uh, if I'm, I don't want to read too much into this, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but you sort of took a time out and and, and became full-time gardener. What? Yes, well, that was induced largely because of my children. Not to say that we weren't open with our children. We, we probably were too much, but it, it, it is haunting to have a child where you, you feel like you can't really be there for them. And so you you have a large garden? I mean, you, you sort of uh, oh. went there to reinvigorate or, or, or what? Well, yeah, I, I had a large garden. Uh-huh. While I was on tour, my husband... Uh, found a condominium on the 19th floor of downtown Portland that he moved us into. (laughs) (laughs) That'll teach you to go on tour. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, anyway, it does have stunning views, I must say. It's, It's quite lovely. But in the garden, I mean, I couldn't right a wrong, but I could pull a weed. I could dig a hole. I could... I had power that way, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately I was so driven by (laughs) the distance scene I put between myself and others that Mm. I couldn't even go grocery shopping after a while. I guess I got totally uh, frozen in the home and uh, that does not do anyone much good. So I'm out of my shell now. And uh, largely due to my college, lesbian friends. Yeah. Uh, my friend has a place in Upper State New York, where we had a large reunion, and people were so supportive of me. It was mm-hmm. it was really quite lovely. We're, we're in Upstate New York. Yeah, it's not exactly Upper State. It's below Utica, say. Uh-huh. It's Mount Vernon. It's mm-hmm. near. Oh, the baseball capital Uh, of New York. It's a lovely area, and it's quite isolated, Mm. so you can really get into self-meditation and solitude. It was quite 
it was quite a great place for me to go. Good. And she runs, by the way, a artist uh, workshops there. She has a large lot of land and many buildings, and mm. so she does this for artists so they can take a break and rejuvenate. Exactly, so, exactly. Any theatrical performance, any theatrical production or art of any kind, film, television, painting, whatever, I think takes a lot of the person because that's what it is. It, it is us that's coming out and meeting the world, whether it's a blank page or a canvas or an audience sitting in the dark. It, it's, it, it drains us of something which we willingly give, but you do have to, you do have to sort of re-energize. But I'm wondering, in addition to the college reunion, you... You had a lot of positive support there, but you have a friend who's touring as Mark Twain and, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt? Yes, um, he's had to stop now because of uh, cancer. But before he developed cancer, he was a school teacher and just so beloved mm. in, in New York. He, he did marvelous things with high school kids. He, he really uh, is a giver. Mm. to people and uh you know i thought well if he could do it why not me mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> i understand okay to the play eleanor from lonely neglected childhood to the world stage yes tell us well eleanor had a <laughs> i guess you would say a dreadful childhood by anyone's account her mother, she was not a beauty. Her mother and father, though, were. They mm. were swells. People who other people looked up to. They were lovely. They were rich. They were fashionable. But Eleanor was a homely baby. And her mother, I think, really rejected her because of that. Uh, she called her Granny oh, yes. and told her that she'd better have good manners because she'd never go anywhere with her looks. Unfortunately, Eleanor's mouth and teeth have no future. She will never catch a man. This is a quote of one of her yes. mother's sisters. Mm. At any rate, her mother died when she was eight. Mm. Her father died when she was almost 10. So she was an orphan who was forced to live in other people's homes. Mm. She lived with her mother's mother and all the aunties, the unmarried aunties and the uncles, which mm. caused Eleanor a lot of problems. Yes. Fortunately, at age 15, she was sent to England. Now, she'd been wearing hand-me-down clothes all of her life from her aunties and was tall for her age and really dreadful at times. Uh, but once she got to England, she met Mademoiselle Sylvester, who was this dynamic woman who encouraged Eleanor's brain, her mm -hmm. mind, uh, to look at things, to get involved with other people's struggles instead of our own, mm -hmm. to empathize and educate. She was quite progressive in, 19, well, in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. She gave Eleanor a sense of duty and power. 
So when Eleanor did come back to New York, she never got to finish her high school training, which is amazing to me. She um, was a debutante, but as a debutante, she could volunteer for the junior league and, and worked in a settlement house. And, and she joined the Consumers League and she wrote reports on child labor and women's labor mm. and was able to be constructive in that role. Mm-hmm. And that's when she was, I love this, she was, she, she met Franklin. She renewed acquaintance with my cousin. <laughs> yes. Remote. Renewed what? acquaintance. Isn't that lovely? That is lovely. Well, anyway, she met Franklin and saw in him another person motivated to to see the good of yes. people. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lovely romance and they had six children ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like me having three children in two years. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what do you think in today, I mean, 2020, what do you think Eleanor Roosevelt has to say to us through you? Through me? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I mean, as you play her. You must, I'm sure, because you're very much aware and involved in what America is going through right now. You've said enough to make it clear oh. to me. You are not just living in the past through a play about a, a person who lived, you are very much aware of what America is going through now. So as you play Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, truthfully, uh, in her time, what are you saying to us in our time? How's that for a question? Yes. The need for change, the need for us to get back to what we believe in the Gilded Age and only the rich ruled how it left our country. Mm. Can we learn from history? You know, I sometimes wonder because it seems like, you know, things will happen and then we just forget it all. The suffering, the problems, and our problems, you know, so many homeless on the street. And mm. it just, it's, they don't belong out there. Now, true, some of them belong in hospitals, but others, you, you can see the uh, strain and worry that this has caused them. You know, you see a man and his son sleeping on the street together. You just say, what is going on, you know? Yes. How do you, so, how, do, yes. how do your audience, uh, you know, I know you have a talk back after the show, do the audiences ask you these kinds of questions? Like, how does how do you and Eleanor relate to the 21st century? Oh, yes. Usually it's kind of a futile question for me in that, you know, what can I say? I, I, I mean, the Democratic Party has got all these great ideas. I want to endorse them all. I mm. think they're all marvelous. I, I just don't have the political answers except to really care for people and to walk the talk. Yes. What really bothers me is people who 
bitch and moan about all the problems and I just don't listen to the television anymore. I just don't listen to the radio anymore. Uh, I, I can't stand this. This is too much for me. Well, do something. Mm. You know, this is my doing Eleanor is my doing something yes. to get people motivated to go ahead and, and join that group that feeds the homeless or go ahead and, 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 and strengthen the rules of your government mm. so that we aren't living with, oh, I'll uh, get myself in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. I'm wondering, though, I think now we've reached a point in the show where we, we all want to know, how do we see you? How do we get tickets? What's your website? Uh, uh, when, where are the next shows? Can we get all that information on your website? Do you have a Facebook well, page? Take your time. Tell us all. I have, I have a Facebook page, and you go to Jane Van Boskirk, Van, V-A-N, as in moving van, boss, as I'm the boss but only one S, and Kirk, like Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the best way to spell my name. And my website is www.janevanboskirk.com. Okay. And, and you can see what I'm doing. Plus, I'm hoping to come to the Northeast in August, September. I'm currently talking to the Hyde place, which is in near my friend's home, and Hyde Park, of course, and uh, anywhere in the Northeast that would be interested in booking me, I I would appreciate any feedback right now, so I can start another tour. I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to seven states in February um, by myself (laughs) I'm touring seven states and it's you know Florida Pennsylvania Tennessee Maryland North Carolina well seven states around there yeah okay so I'll be doing that in February and March excellent by plane train automobile and greyhound wow wow that's quite a tour so tell us, how does one book you? Is there, do you go to the website to do that, or is a phone or email? Yes, you do. Uh, you go to the website, leave a little message and your email, phone number, however you want to be contacted, and I'll get back to you. Okay. So that's www.janevanboskirk, J-A-N-E-V-A-N-B-O-S-K-I-R-K.com. And, and is your exactly. face your Facebook page? Is it your name plus Eleanor Roosevelt? Is it? Yeah, there's two. Fa- there, I have two Facebook pages. There's the uh, James Van Bosker Eleanor Roosevelt Facebook, and there's you know me ranting and raving about different political things <laughs> on the regular Facebook, but also just about my kids and what's going on. Wonderful. All right. Well. Fascinating conversation, and I, I, as you're coming east, we may actually get to meet one another, and that would be grand. But is there anything else, any words you want to give us about uh, yourself, about Eleanor Roosevelt, about theater? Just take us out on what you want us to remember most and think about most. Well, 
Oh, now that's a tall order. I, I really feel like, as in your opening, that the persistent working against fear mm. is so important. And every day, Eleanor would say to herself, Eleanor, today is the day you must do what you think you cannot do. Mm. That's been a guiding light for me. Excellent. All right, then. I think that is a perfect outro. So thank you so very much, Jane Van Buskirk. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. This has been so enlightening and it's, well, it's been a delight and it's been educational and it's been something I think we all need to hear. So thank you so very much for sharing with us. And we, of course, we wish you all the very best as you bring Eleanor Roosevelt back to life in your one woman show written by Sharon Whitney and performed by you, our guest today, Jane Van Buskirk. Thank you so very much. All the best. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Bye-bye. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Getting old. There comes a time when you start to realize it's too late to regain what's lost. You feel you've become too old to be relevant. The sometimes only slightly younger, the workplace, and the world in general all seem to shy away. Yet even when we acknowledge that life may never again be as it once was or as we wanted it to be, choice remains. And there resides the potential for poignant, relevant, and deeply moving stories. I'll See You in My Dreams, starring Blythe Danner. Must we remember this wonderfully talented star of stage and screen merely as the mother of Gwyneth Paltrow? Here, Danner plays a widow and former singer facing just such a turning point. With a little help from her friends, she makes choices again. She falls in love again with Sam Elliott, no less. She begins to end her isolation and reconnect to the life around her. This is a funny and compassionate story. A story for all of us. I'll See You in My Dreams falls within the so-called silver dollar genre. Sensitive films that touch the heart of a certain generation. A generation that is still ever-growing. I'll see you in my dreams, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. There's more to America than Trump and media scratching our surface itch. If at 93 Her Majesty's memory of Princess Diana and love of family has evolved abdication, can't media on both sides of the pond manage to report true love truth instead of conjecture of brotherly division? And aren't the revelations of the most substantive democratic debate more important than a MIA handshake? When will the media's distinguish news from superficial gossip? Perhaps when the religious ask for salvation in places of worship instead of political rallies. When we seek more female statesmen in politics than polling disciples. And when we the people knock inwardly for lasting solutions. 
Wall Street greed is not a surface problem, but rather as ingrained and as old as a third of America's 1776 citizens clinging to the status quo of land-owning white male superiority. To understand believers of Trump's incompetent dishonesty, Pence's hypocrisy, and the duplicity of Lindsey Graham, Devin Nunes, and Mitch McConnell, we need only recall Sarah Palin's 2008 divorce from truth prepping their path. Each of us must choose. Believing Trump is the root of all evil, thus continuing to dig America a shallow grave in which to bury his destructiveness, while remaining a people grasping at the pablum of advertised homogenized banalities, or step up to the truth that sets us free. In every age, there have been people who claim to make America great, while degrading it for their own pleasure, aggrandizement, and fortunes, like the 1933 banker's business plot attempting to replace our 32nd president with someone like Donald Trump. Using political puppets to make us pawns was conceived by men like J. Edgar Hoover and bequeathed to a willingly corrupt Bill Barr. My point? It's not the first time America has been yanked out of our American dream and shoved into the nightmare of magnets sticking us with immoral opportunists like Mrs. 2016 Florida, Karen Turk, who stole 219,000 of her mother's Social Security checks. Nor is it the first time we've elected leaders who keep company with men like Roy Moore and Jeffrey Epstein. But maybe this time we'll beware of the contribution of phony patriotism, like the military-industrial complex, the Dulles brothers, the lies that got us into Vietnam, pushing middle-class upward mobility down the slippery slope of trickle-down, and Bush Cheney's mushroom cloud preparing the way for too-big-to-fail Wall Street bankers and their underbelly of support in the KKK and America's neo-Nazis. From Tuesday, 21 January to Tuesday, 3 November 2020, who will honor America's exceptional quest for an impossible dream? Senatorial accomplices after the fact signing a 232-year-old pledge of impartiality, an occlusion attempting to block any executive stoop to conquer Khan with period, full stop, or patriots voting to remove Citizens United and settling for less from our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many times must Trump publicly declare his independence from both Congress and Constitution? I don't know him at all. Don't know where he's from. Don't know what he's about. Don't know where he comes from. Don't know nothing about him. Before we believe the GAO, Donald Trump and his administration broke the law. Whether breadcrumbs, yellow brick road, or hyperlinks, we need to learn to learn from the bridges connecting our past and present. If in our future we hope to save ourselves from what is past is prologue. Whether America is in the best or worst of times depends on how we treat each other in whatever times we're in. For whatever time America has left, Americans need allies, scientists, teachers, and incoming refugees to help us reason, brainstorm, and take action. Arguably the most dangerous of all, those who believe, I've done nothing wrong, for Trump's 
fiesta restance is trumping Christians and mesmerizing seekers of simple solutions when facing the complexities of racial and sexual differences, gender inequality, and our planet's loss of food and clean water resources due to climate change. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs chapter 22 we need to replace superficial thinking with in-depth solution-oriented questioning. For example, Stanford study reports normal human body temperature has decreased from 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit to 97.5 for men and 98.0 for women. Why? Why are parts of Africa being invaded by millions of locusts? Why is it still legal to kill the mentally ill, especially when people of color? Why are there now twice as many suicides in America as homicides? What is gained by denying the dangerously destructive potential of climate change? Truth is, we have been preconditioned for automatic responses to our differences, not our similarities. Need cinematic cold water in our Dorian Grace face to absorb this truth? See the film The Public, and then revisit any ad any news program, any poll, petition, or campaign of any kind, and you'll see. Seeing is believing. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.